beautiful singing this morning. Uh, do, I never know when that song's going to end, though, exactly. It could just keep going, so i just wait till it ends. But it's a beautiful day outside today. It's a joy to be able to welcome you to our worship assembly this morning. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, it's already been a wonderful privilege of mine to uh, be able to meet several of our guests. We thank you especially uh, for being here this morning. We rejoice that you come our way as well, and uh, we certainly desire to make you feel warm and welcome. Of course, uh, our youth group uh, had an adventurous trip to New Orleans for a youth event over the weekend, and they're back safe and sound with us, and we're thankful for that. And of course, uh, you look around, there's not a hatcher to be found today. The hatchers are all away for a family reunion today, and uh, they'll be back later on this afternoon. Have some wonderful news to pass along to you today. We're very thankful that uh, Mitchell and Kimberly Moore, along with their three children, uh, Corbin Tate, Luke, and Ella Claire, uh, want to place their membership uh, with us here at Delrada. And uh, they're not total strangers to several of us here, but you may not know them, so they're in the back area that way. So I want to ask them to stand if they can, or if their children will allow them to stand. Over here today is where they are. So uh, I hope you'll meet them. I hope that you will welcome them uh, to our church family here at Delray. It's an honor to have them to work and worship with us. Also, we want to congratulate uh, Brother Durward and Sister Beryl Bird. Uh, they were married 62 years yesterday. Uh, wow, that's an accomplishment. And we congratulate them and uh, we commend them on that achievement. It's also very good to see Walker and Elizabeth Sloan uh, back with us today. Uh, of course, they have been uh, doing work in China and uh, they're back with us for a while. It's certainly good to see them here as well. And uh, I hope you'll have a chance maybe to talk with them after our services are dismissed today. Uh, Brother Reginald Barr, who is uh, here today, I talked with him uh, last night quite a bit. And Brother Reginald uh, wants us to word a prayer on his behalf. His health hasn't been nearly what he would like for it to be. And he just made a request for us to pray for him this morning. And before our lesson today, I'm going to uh, do that. And uh, will you please bow your heads with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, for this beautiful and wonderful day, we're thankful we are grateful for all you do for us. we thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy. This time, we're mindful of Brother Reginald Barr. Uh, we're mindful of him and uh, him recognizing his dependence upon you, Father. And we pray that you would be with him and Sister Mary Jim, uh, especially as he deals with some uh, health issues at this time. We pray that uh, you would watch over him, Father, and that you would uh, uh, bless the doctors that are tending to uh, his needs, that they would be able to do things that would be most needful and helpful for him to have a portion of health. Bless not only him, Father, we know of many others in our assembly who are sick, who are dealing with various uh, kinds of uh, physical uh, issues and perhaps discouragements. We pray that you would bless them, Father. We know that you love us. We know that you care for us. And we're thankful for the greatest demonstration of that love given by your son, Jesus, on the cross. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
I'm going to ask you today to uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Of course, Matthew chapter 7 is the concluding chapter of that great Sermon on the Mount. In fact, uh, that entire discourse that we look at in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's just a tremendous part of God's Word. And what I plan to do today, and because of time constraints, there is simply no way I'm going to rush through this. Mike started a couple of songs in the middle today, and uh, I'm not going to skip to the end of my sermon today. Uh, But uh, I am going to divide it up, as I had not planned initially. I'm going to talk about three of these principles for living today And I want to really talk about these like we need to talk about them. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about three more very important principles for living that we see here in Matthew chapter 7. And I believe these are some lessons that we can learn from God's Word that will help us to better be better people. They will strengthen us. These words will encourage us. I think they will motivate us to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father each and every day. These words are are very challenging words for us to incorporate in our lives, but these are words that we need to meditate upon and think about in our everyday Christian living. So let's look at what the Lord had to say here in Matthew chapter 7. First of all, one of the things that the Lord talks about is the idea that we need to understand the dangers that are involved when we go about judging one another and judging one another in the wrong way. Now, in Matthew chapter 7 here in verse 1, beginning, our Lord said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you use, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you behold the mote, the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you consider not the beam that's in your own eye? Or will you say to your brother, let me remove that speck in your eye while you have a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite, first cast the beam out of your own eye, then you can clearly see how to cast the speck or the mote out of your brother's eye. Now the Lord made it very plain here, first of all, judge not that you be not judged. Now, you look at our culture today, you look at our society, and perhaps more now than any other time, we hear the statement made by various individuals, you don't have the right to judge me. Who are you to to judge what I am doing? And that's because of our culture today, our society today, that, as I've said many times, emphasizes the idea of relativism. You know, what's right depends upon the individual. It's not what we do necessarily. It depends upon your thinking versus my thinking. And so who are you 
to judge me. And so some people today will take this verse that the Lord says to mean, you never have the right to judge me. But we need to understand here, the Lord is not in any sense whatsoever condemning all kinds of judging. In fact, over in John chapter 7 and verse 24, the Lord specifically says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And so what we need to understand here is when the Lord says, judge not that you be not judged, there's simply no way that means that we ought never to judge anybody about anything. The Lord is simply talking about a certain kind of judging that we ought never to engage in. Now, if we are stating a fact about a situation, or if we're stating a fact about an individual, even though it may be uncomplimentary to that individual, when you state a fact, you're not judging anybody. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, when you can observe in a person's life, when, when you can see what they're doing, and you state a fact, that is not judging. For example, you might say, well, you know, this person is simply not telling the truth. And you may say, well, you know, this person is being dishonest. That's not judging. That's simply stating a fact. Or it may be that you're out somewhere and you hear this individual with your own ears say something just that catches you by surprise. Maybe it's profane, vile, vulgar language and and you make the statement, well, you know, that person sure uses some bad language. You see, that's not judging. That's simply stating a fact. But here's the problem. When we begin to assign motives to people, when we begin trying to say why it is that folks are doing certain things, that's when we begin to judge. For example, you may say about somebody, this individual is just simply not living right. They're not living the kind of lives they ought to live. That's not judging. That is stating a fact. But, you, but suppose you say, this person doesn't want to live right. This person isn't even trying to put forth the effort, it seems, to live the kind of life that he ought to live. That's judging. You don't know what he wants. Only Jesus can know the hearts of an individual. Or we may know and say for sure, you know, this person really has a drinking problem. This person is drinking alcohol. He's not stopped drinking you may state that as a fact that is not judging. But when you say, you know, this person doesn't even want to stop drinking, 
He's not even putting forth the effort to to try to, to quit this thing. You see, that's judging. We're assigning a motive to that particular individual. And so the kind of judging here that the Lord condemns is this kind of harsh, critical, fault-finding judgment when we begin to minutely look at the faults in the lives of other people. And our Lord even stated in this passage that it makes the one engaging in this kind of behavior hypocritical. He said, for example, in Matthew 7 and verse 3, Why do you behold the mote that's in your brother's eye? Consider not the beam that's in your own eye. Hypocrite. First cast out the beam, the two by four, in your own eye. Then you can clearly see to cast out the mote or the speck in your brother's eye. You see, what the Lord is condemning here is our going around and we're trying to always point out, we're trying to to find some insignificant, minute fault in the life of our brother. And we who are doing the fault finding are in some cases doing the same thing or worse in the sight of God. You know, we look for that speck in our brother's eye, and lo and behold, we've got a big old two-by-four sticking out of our own eye. The Lord said that kind of judging is hypocritical. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, Whosoever you are that judges. For wherein you judgest another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same thing. Now, Paul, what are you really trying to get across here? Paul says when we go about judging individuals, when we have a condemning attitude, always looking to to find fault with this and to find fault with that, then we are certainly hypocritical when we ourselves are involved in doing something equal to that or maybe worse in the sight of God. The Bible says in Romans 14, verse 10, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seed of Christ. Now, the reason that we ought not go about judging one another, the Lord said in Matthew 7, in verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. You see, that individual that goes about and he's always looking with a critical eye, he's always trying to find fault in the lives of other people. When we have the attitude that, you know, we're going to look through a microscope and and we're going to discover all the shortcomings in the lives of our brethren then what the Lord's saying here is, is that we're going to have people judging us in the same way. If we try to pick people apart, then they're going to pick us apart. The old saying is, what goes around comes around. And ultimately, we're even going to be judged by 
the judge of all judges on that last and final day. And so this first principle that I want you to really get this morning that the Lord mentions about living the Christian life, he said, let's be careful about the dangers of judging in that we begin to attribute motives as to why we think they are doing certain things. Now, certainly we can judge. We can judge according to righteous judgment, but there is judging that we as Christians ought never to engage in. Secondly, though, our Lord pointed out the tremendous importance of praying to God. He talked about the importance of prayer, of communicating with him who hears every petition according to his will. If you look at verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, ask. It shall be given you, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who receives finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you who, if his children or his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if his son asks for fish, Will he give him a serpent? If you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more then will your father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? Now folks, we need to understand today, and I think this is something that really needs to be driven home. I think it's something we take for granted. There is tremendous power in prayer. I want you to think about this for just a moment. If God answers all my prayers tomorrow, will I wish that I had prayed more today? Or if God gives me tomorrow what I thank him for today, will I wish that I had prayed more? You see, the Bible tells us that God answers prayer. The Bible says here, ask. That word literally means keep on asking. It means continually ask. Don't stop asking. And it shall be given you. That's why in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John 5 and verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then James challenges us with the statement in chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you ask not. And then James tells us to ask in faith, nothing doubting. 
You see, brethren, there's tremendous power when we keep on asking God to bless us. When we keep on asking God for those things that we need. When we continually acknowledge our dependence upon Him who made us. And yet, I think all of us need to stop and begin to respect God's judgment regarding what He chooses to give us. Look at how he talks about an earthly father in verses 9 through 11. You know, if we as parents are asked by our children for bread, are we going to give them a stone? You know, if our children ask us for meat, if they ask us for fish, are, are we going to give them a serpent, something harmful? Of course not. Well, what's the point here? Well, the point is, if we who are so weak and sinful and evil, if we as human beings who are so little in compared to the greatness of God, if we know how to give good things to our children, how much more then will our Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? You see, the truth is, we don't know what we need all the time. And it may be that some of the greatest blessings that God ever gives us is refusing to grant to us some of those things that we ask him for. Some of those things that we ask for and pray for might be some of the worst things that we could possibly have as far as impacting our eternal destiny. And so the point is today, when we pray to God, we need to trust in the goodness of God. Now, as parents, we try to give good things to our children. And we are all children of God if we are Christians. And we have a a Father up in heaven that loves us and cares for us. And in the same way, we need to understand that we don't give our children everything they want even though we try to be good to our children. We don't give them everything that they ask for. You know, young parents, how many of you are going to give your children a Hershey bar and a can of Melliella, you know, right before bed? You know, that's not something you do. Your children may want that. They may ask for that. But you know what's going to happen if you do that. And so you try to do what's best for those children. And as Christians today, there are things that we may want. There are things that we may desire. There are things that we may feel like are good for us. But God knows better. God may know that we don't need those things at this particular time. That's why the Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now we're talking about lessons for living today. And first of all, we looked at the dangers of judging. We talked about the importance of prayer. But the last point that I'm going to make today in this lesson is that we need to learn to treat each other Right. I love Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, 
Do you even so unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now we know this as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And I believe this is one of the greatest principles that people can live by today. And there's just no doubt in my mind that when you look at our world today that Just about all the problems we face in our world today, and even all the problems that we deal with in the church today, almost all those problems could basically be eliminated if we would just practice the golden rule. And believe me, it takes a big person to determine to do what's good and what's best for the other individual. To put your interest and your well-being above what I want. To treat you like I would like to be treated. You know, the Bible says about Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 that Jesus began to both do and to teach. And Jesus said, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus did that. He practiced that. He practiced the golden rule. When Jesus said that we are to love our neighbor as ourself, that's just another way of stating this golden rule. What about the relationship between husbands and wives? How would that be different today if we practiced the golden rule? What about us as young people today in the Lord's church? How would that affect our relationship with one another? Would we try to lead our friends astray? Would we try to get our friends to do that which is not acceptable if we really practice the golden rule? How would we treat each other as brethren in the Lord's church if we practiced the golden rule? The Lord is saying here that we need to make up our minds that we're going to treat others like we would like to be treated. Now, as we think about practicing this golden rule, I want to point out something as I close today, and that is the importance of encouraging one another. It's been stated that on a daily basis, every person generally receives around six admonitions of criticism or discouragement for every one statement or one action of encouragement. And folks, as as members of God's family, that needs to be different with us today. We need to look around us today and we need to try to find ways that we can encourage one another and build one another up with our words and and with our actions. You know, last Sunday morning, I'm going to give you an example of this. As I was about to leave church and go eat lunch and of course, I always look forward to that, and I'm anticipating lunch today. I've got the place picked out I want to go, but chances are I won't get to go there today, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, as I was walking to my automobile, uh, I noticed that my car was covered with post-it notes. First thing that came to my mind, well, somebody's at it again, playing a joke on me. And I have all these little post-it notes here, and uh, there's a big, big note here. It says, compliments of the third grade class. I think Carrot and Tracy teach this class according to this. And all the little kids signed it, and they each put a little note on here. Some of them put two or three messages on it. 
And uh, here's some of the messages that were on these post-it notes. I, I jotted them down. One of them is you have a nice wife. You know, that's true. You know, uh, that's certainly true. Another one said, uh, thank you for doing your kids scene class. Uh, another one was, uh, why do you preach so long? And of course, I, I wouldn't tell you who wrote that. Uh, and I ought to go ahead and preach this whole lesson today for Sydney uh, uh, for, for writing that down. Of course, she wrote some other things too, you know, like I'm happy you're our preacher and things like that. Or another one said, you're a great preacher, War Eagle. You know, that's all right. You're handsome, roll tide, I love your preaching. How did you get married, you know? Thank you. And, and there were several statements, and, you know, I kept every one of these. You know, I won't throw these away either. Uh, I got a special file that I'll, I'll keep these in in my office, and I don't know if I'll lose my mind one day, but uh, one day I'll go through this, and I'll, I'll say, I wonder where this came from. And generally I write on the back, you know, about the date and uh, kind of, what went on so I can remember what happened. And that was an encouragement. You see, that was practicing the golden rule. And I just want to suggest to you today that when it comes to our assembly, like we are here this morning, we need to practice the golden rule. I want to suggest to you that each one of us ought to implement what we might call a five-minute rule. You know, immediately after our closing prayer is said... We visit with those round about us. And in 99% of the cases, if you ask me to find somebody, I could go find them in a certain area of the auditorium because we generally talk to those people that are right around us. Why don't we go and live by a five-minute rule after we're dismissed? Go somewhere where you're not. Talk to people that you normally don't talk to. Go greet a visitor who has come to our assembly. Take the first four or five minutes and do that. And then go back where you normally stand and talk to the folks that you're accustomed to talking. We need to encourage one another. That's one way that we can do it. Get out of our comfort zones just for five minutes and talk to somebody else. Sometimes, you know, when we sing the invitation song, there are people that get up and just leave habitually. They're out the door. Some are going to leave at 11 o'clock no matter what happens. On Wednesday nights, after our Bible classes, there's really a lot of folks that just leave and they go on home and don't come back into the assembly. You see, not only are you not encouraging other people, think about how you are denying yourself encouragement that you need. We need to be encouraged. But not only do we need to be encouraged, we need to be encouragers. We need to be here and we need to encourage one another. That's what the Bible tells us to do when we assemble. We are to provoke and encourage one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. And let's think about other people. Let's think about what I can do and what you can do to encourage other people. I think about a particular coach, John Wooden. And of course, when you think about coaches, you think about those that are successful. And when you think about a successful coach, uh, you think about those that are very verbal, those that are very animated. But the most successful coach 
that perhaps has ever coached any sport is John Wooden. Won 10 straight national championships in basketball for UCLA. A very calm individual. Never raised his voice. Doesn't sound like a successful coach, does he? Never raised his voice. And somebody asked him one time, Coach, what is the secret of your success? How do you keep motivating these guys to, to win every single week and to do their best in practice? Here's what he said. He said, I try to catch them doing the right thing. And then I let them know about it. That's all he did. And those guys would run through a brick wall for him because he was an encourager. And so this morning we sing a song of encouragement. It may be that you haven't been praying to God as you ought to. It may be that you've been discouraged. It may be that sin or something in your life has taken hold on you and your relationship with God isn't what it needs to be and ought to be. Could you pray to God if you had that need today? Could you call God your father because you're his child? If you're not a child of God today, you can obey the gospel. You can have faith in Jesus Christ, an obedient faith that leads you to change your life in repentance, and you can become a child of God today by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning, the invitation is yours if you're subject to it. We ask.